Welcome to episode 423 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, February 2nd. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. I feel like an old man. We got 423 episodes of this guy, and we I just did my 1,000th post on Fangraphs today. 1,000th. Actually, you did your 1,001 because... You, 1000 was whatever was before this. I think, I think the piece that we're going to talk about that I'll get to in a moment oh, was your 1000. Good, good. I think today was one, 1001. I prefer that piece to Eddie Butler, uh, today because. Yeah, Eddie Butler can't be, can't, can't be, be a milestone piece. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what though? I want to get a quick thought on that. I wasn't planned, but you did write about him. He's leaving Colorado. He was a prospect. I actually liked him as a prospect. Uh, when it was him and John Gray, I was like, you know, I think they got something here with these two. You know, Gray's obviously on a nice trajectory. Butler never really got it going. Not really a whole lot of time to kind of figure it out, but, uh, struggled in the minors too. That, just that, that thin air in general, cause when they were at Colorado Springs, he struggled. And then of course, uh, in 159 innings at the major league level, he, he was brutal. Could not miss bats, terrible results, all of it. So, you know, when the Cubs Cubs are at the point now when they sign somebody, everyone perks up and says, "Oh, you know, the Cubs signed this guy." Is there anything here with Eddie Butler? Well, the the interesting thing was that Adam Ottavino once told me, you know, you watch this space. If he ever finds a, a pitch other than that changeup, he's going to be great. And in the meantime, he found this slider that's above average. You know, fifteen percent whiffs, like decent slider that when it's as best looks really good actually. And he's, you know, even though the shoulder has robbed him of velocity, he's down to 93 instead of averaging like 94, 95 like he did when he came up. He now has two pitches, but he lost the changeup in the meantime. You know, and I don't know what happened. There's this, there's a gif of him throwing this crazy ass changeup, you know, righty on righty changeup in the futures game that just dives away and just is beautiful. And that changeup, so, yeah, so that changeup had like 10 inches of drop, and the changeup that he that he throws now has like four inches of drop. So, you know, I don't know what happened in between. I don't know if maybe injuries. Maybe he was worried about the shoulder, and he used to throw a splitter. That's what it looks like. It looks like he went from a splitter to a regular one, and it just isn't the same. So, um, there's the there's that. You know, is he, is he going to find the change is the question. Because, you know, now he's a sinker slider guy, 93, uh, with a slider. He can be a, he can be a, a, a reliever for them. Or since he has an option, what the Cubs are most likely going to do is treat him as a seventh, eighth starter. You know, the guy. So they put Butler yeah, in Iowa. The guy behind Brett Anderson, basically, or Mike Montgomery. Okay. So they're going to stick him down there and then he's going to work on finding that change up. But everything works better. And I think, you know, one of the things that's also tough about Colorado is we know that altitude screws with your ability to recover. That's part of why mm-hmm. the Denver Nuggets have the biggest home field advantage in, in all of sports is because you go there, you sleep a night, and you don't get as much rest as you would from a regular night of sleep. And then you got to play then, hoops. Yeah, then you got to play hoops the next day. And, and especially on the night of a back, you know, on a back to back, they're the, the team coming into Denver is screwed. So I think that, you know, Eddie Butler's shoulder, maybe he'll discover that he feels better pitching somewhere else. And maybe the splitter comes back. And then all of a sudden he's splitter, slider, 93 mile an hour sinker, which, you know, in the National League was would be would be relevant, but there's so many hoops for him to cross that he's kind of 
you know, just a guy to don't forget his name and remember, you know, oh, look, Eddie Butler's coming out spot star. I don't even know if I DFS him the first time, but I would. L- little star next to him, but but definitely a wait and see situation yeah, with Eddie Butler. Yeah. Now I just discovered okay. something else. I think that's One fair. more navel gaze. Other than the fact, I don't even know that uh, I've done one of these since I launched my other site. Um, I, I'm now working on a, a site called October.com. And uh, if you like beer at all, I'd, I'd love it if you guys came over and, and checked it out. We're not It's not as dorky as Beer Grouse. It's a little bit more mainstream. So it's got cultural things in it, movies, music. And also some beer graphs energy. So it's a, it's a fun site that I'm working on. But anyway, uh, I noticed I'm at 1999 when it comes to posts on all of fan graphs. Whoa. Just sure. my not graphs, 223 with my 374 pieces from, was it 374? I, I'm not going to do that math again. Sorry. But, uh, so your, your next one's 2000. My next one's 2000. You're milestoning everywhere. Yeah, here, here, a milestone for you, milestone for you. Anyway. Um, I mean, you could write, uh, let's see. You could write about Jeff Francis if you want to write about another Colorado pitcher. Although we, we discovered Butler wasn't the milestone one, but if you wanted to make my, my next piece is about third time through the order and who needs to add another pitch. And I think that's, Ooh, be great. that's pretty much perfect for my 2000. Yeah, that, that's an, yeah. that's an amazing 2000. That's just like, like right that up is, my alley. <laughs> unless, the only thing that would be more Eno is if you like compared, like ranked change-ups and compared them to beers or something. Yeah, yeah, that would, they would get sort of, and then do like a little fancy thing at the, at the end. So it was like not graphs, beer graphs, you know. It would, yeah, it would just be, everything. It would be quintessential. <laughs> but I like, I like where you're headed. I think you should stick with that. We're actually going to stick with the Cubs here for a moment, uh, with our leading off question of the day, because it's about the one, that 1000th piece that you wrote. And it's about Jason Hayward. And he got, you know, Jason Hayward hard at work. Obviously had a disastrous season last year. I mean, one of the worst years that we've seen an established uh, star-level player having in, in quite a while. But he's out there doing work. What is he doing? What is Jason Hayward doing to improve on his ugly 2016, and do you think it's going to work? I saw a couple things that I thought were pretty important. I mean, he's he's doing these these hitting sessions right now, and I think they're, I think they might be at Wrigley, but, um, you know, wherever he is, he, he's doing hitting sessions. They're also inside uh, somewhere maybe in Georgia. And they're taking video of it, and they're kind of, in the post, I put it up against his, his swing from 2012 when he hit all those homers and then from 2016 when he hit none of those homers. And, uh, you know, the thing that's different about him that I really like is there's, he's opened up his legs a little bit. His hips are clearing faster. You know, sometimes his swing seems all handsy and tight in the shoulders and just, you know, if you imagine Jason Hayward, he's that guy that even though he's huge, He's like crunching up his shoulders and just getting tiny, you know, like getting all. It's a great way to you know, describe getting it. Getting tiny up top, you know. So then, so what I like is he opened up his front legs so that his hips go through faster, and he has this first move now where before he's moving, before he's swinging, you know, sort of when he's setting up, he pushes his hands out away from his body, and I think that's going to be good because he his hands were so tight when he was getting all perclent before. His hands were so tight that in order to even swing backwards, he had to push his hands out away from his body and then go back, you know, into his load. 
And that's just another step. You know, pushing your hands out away from your body costs you time. So if you push your hands out away from your body before you're even swinging, so in your setup, so that your first move is just back, uh, then I think that could be that could be better for him. So I, this is sort of mechanical wonk, and uh, it's not necessarily my finest foot forward. But it, you know, this is a guy who has a very complicated swing, who has lost the ability to hit the ball hard. I mean, that's basically the the basic problem that he's had. He's he's fiddled a little bit with his you know swing, his launch angle. He's fiddled a lot with his swing. But mostly he's lost the ability to, to hit the ball hard. So I think if he can clear that those hips faster and focus on just deciding what pitch – because he actually has a good sense of where the zone is and what pitches are which, I think. I agree. It's just he hasn't done anything with the pitches he's swung at. So I think if he has those hips going through fast and he's deciding early and just saying, okay, I have a good idea of what these pitches are. If I want to swing at something, I need to be aggressive and swing with intent – and, and hit it as hard as I can. I think that's, that's what we're looking from for, for out of him. And I don't think we should count out. I know it's been a long time since he hit all those homers, but I don't think we should. I'm not necessarily all the way in the bag in terms of Ron Chandler's once you show a skill, you own it. At the sure. same time, because, you know, there are Brady Anderson, you know, hitting 50 home runs. That, well, and even if you own it, that doesn't mean you're going to display it. <clears throat> right. And, and, and Brady Anderson never, never hit 50 again. So there are, peak years and fluke years and and so maybe that is a fluke year for Hayward that that 2012 season at the same time last year I think was fluke in the other direction I think that was too far gone and he dropped in his way to runs created plus he dropped 50 points so it was just it was too much I think that at the very least you can buy him as a sort of 14-10 guy 15-10 guy and a, mm-hmm. and a and a bonus in in on base percentage leagues, and that makes him relevant in most leagues. A last outfielder, even in mixed leagues, and in terms of what other last outfielders you're looking at, I think there's enough upside there in terms of runs and RBI. If he does have an OBP over 360 and starts hitting the ball harder, he's gonna you know move up that lineup and he's gonna score more runs. So. Definitely. You know, there's there's some upside there. I know that some people are kind of were never that into him to begin with. And that's defensible, of course. Uh, but sometimes a price drops so far that a guy becomes interesting again. You know, the, the, the market has responded very harshly to Jason Hayward's 2016. He's, uh, going on average pick 252 as the 58th outfielder off the board. That suggests to me that, uh, you can't really go wrong if you invest, right? I mean, even if he flops, that's a that's a 17th round pick in a 15 team league that you know I think once you get to pick 15 you're taking guys that that you should have a reasonable expectation won't be on your team the whole year. Yeah, right. obviously you're hoping well, you know you're hoping to get get guys that are going to click but there's a damn good chance that that's going to be part of your churn. Like the, the, obviously yeah. those are the guys that you would want to be churning. You don't want to be churning your uh, your single digit rounders. But I think once you get in that range and and you see Jason Hayward at the seventeenth pick, there's no onus on him to really do anything for you. And so it is all upside. Now the upside is not severe because as you say, you know we're, we're four years removed now from the 2012 season when he went 2020, and so he's probably not going to do that again. But I don't know a 27 year old Jason Hayward at that price. <laughs> I, I'm I'm going to be betting. I, I'm going to get a few shares for sure. Yeah, the the thing that 
what happens that there though is that you're right about the turn. That is the those are the spots that you drop. Those are the guys that you drop for waiver wire guys. And so, you know, you kind of might want to target upside there. So in in a sure. way, Hayward is not the greatest fit unless it's a deeper league because. So, for example, I put in mixed league, 12 team league, five outfielders, just a regular thing. Put in the auction calculator. Out comes Hayward actually at 64, which, you know, from 58th is not that big a deal. But it is instructive to see the guys around him. I'm not going to say one of them because we'll talk about him later and I think we'll return to this conversation a little bit. But, um, okay. here are other guys around him that are like him. Denard Spawn, um, Randall Grichuk, mm, Nick Markakis. So I think those guys, yeah, I take Hayward over those guys. I mean, those guys haven't demonstrated anything in the, in the very recent past that makes them more enticing in terms of ceiling, right? Yeah, they're all veterans, that whole group, but he's a young veteran. Right. Hayward is. Right. And so then, okay, but then flip it. Here are the other guys, the auction calculator says Randall Grichuk, uh, Jacob E. Ellsbury. Jose Peraza, Yasmani Tomas, Hunter Renfro. Now, you know, I'm going to take Hunter Renfro because I think there's a shot he hits 30 homers this year. I agree. I might take Yasmani Tomas because if they either trying to showcase him for a Never. trade or just keep him out there, he might hit 30 home runs. Never. Huh? Never. Never. I mean, he, uh... he made me, he made us look foolish last year. We clowned on him, and he had a pretty solid fantasy season. Fantasy, but but such a bad. I mean, he's still he was below replacement, and he seems uh, yeah. very much I mean, like a DH in the National League. And it's just going to be. It's going to be a weird career for him. I'm not sure that he's still not 100% that he's not that other guy. Diane Vicieto. Yeah, Diane Vicieto. It's not, it's not 100% he's not that guy because Vicieto fell out of the league because he couldn't have enough bat for first base or DH. It was the only place he could play. So, yep. The, the, you know, Tomas could be headed there, but, uh, you know, Tomas Hayward, come see, come saw, I don't know. I, I figure something else, I figure something else out there probably. Ellsbury, you know, with the lack of steals, I think I'd probably go with Ellsbury because I think he'll steal more than Hayward. And if we're talking about 10 homers, then, you know, I feel like Ellsbury could make that up. So, you know, the, and then Peraza, the thing that's weird is Peraza won't be there. No, he's not lasting there. That's the auction calculator, you know, going Using off of the, the numbers that he's put up. But the upside, if there's playing time, even if there's not guaranteed playing time, I think the speed is going to be alluring enough that folks are going to pay more for Peraza. I agree with you there. But I think we found enough guys in the back end that I would take Hayward over. I'd take Hayward over Gritchuk, take Hayward over Span. I'd take Hayward over maybe Tomas. That one's a little bit harder. But Hayward? I, I think I'd take him over Brantley because Brantley, I'm not even sure, is going to play again. Yeah, that health piece is very scary right now for Michael Brantley. What about Jason Hayward versus Eric Thames? I'll take Thames. I think I would just too. in case. I think I would just too. in case the projections say take Thames, and then you know, just in case those projections are right, that he might be, he might have a pretty monster. The numbers season. were so oh, nasty right. overseas that that the, the translations are just huge for Eric Thames. And he's not coming over like Byung Ho Park trying to, you know, you know, figure out the the culture and no, he knows that it. he's returning. Language. Yeah, he'll he'll feel like I think he'll feel like more like triumphant return than. Then I need to, you know, prove to everybody, you know, so I don't know. Um, you know, Hayward over Bruce. 
Hayward over Hunsu Kim. That that's where he's going. So there is there is uh, a chance that he'll end up on a team or two of mine for sure. Okay. Well, that's where we're at on, on, on Jason Hayward. The, the, the thing of it is right now is he's doing this work and we're, re- we're not going to really know, uh, what, what it's like until we see him take some swings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when the, uh, when the Cactus League kicks out, uh, in Arizona, it's- we'll get a chance to see him put this, this work to use. And, you know, we always caution against going too crazy over, uh, spring training numbers. But particularly for somebody like Hayward, who's doing tangible work to change himself, even if the results aren't necessarily great, but you see great swings and you see some loud outs, things like that, because you, you better believe even if you're not uh, uh, on MLB Network, you know, you're going to get some Cubs games, spring training games on ESPN. Like you're going to be going to have a chance to see what Hayward's doing in spring. So keep an eye on him if you're interested. Yeah. And the, the other thing about. Hayward is that, you know, it's easier to, to clear your hips and make it look nice when you're hitting a tee. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So yeah, I would like to see some spring, but you know, I don't, I, I'm definitely not counting him out. I mean, the Pablo Sandoval is the king of swings, you know, in terms of he's had years where he was 20% better than league average and years where he was 30% worse. Absolutely. And his, he, I mean, I'm not even trying to make a, a, a fat joke, but his performance fluctuates as much as his weight like it 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 really does and i know a lot of times it's due to the weight back and forth but uh that's another guy i'm not fully quitting i'm i'm more in on hayward for sure but i i i refuse to believe that that uh pablo sandoval is a thousand percent done too so probably uh, i I like him a lot as a sort of al only pickup especially with the trade of travis shaw that tells me that they have some confidence and they're saying hey we're going to go back to you, and we're going to give you that shot. So we'll see. Uh, let's talk a few moves here and, and, and one piece of news before we get into our team breakdown today, which is which is the Minnesota Twins. Um, Carlos Martinez signed an extension, and, you know, as is the case with re-signings on the free agent market, there's not a whole lot to talk about in terms of, like, how this affects the team or whatever, but it gives us a chance to talk about Carlos Martinez himself, who I don't think we've talked much about, and I'm not hearing a whole lot about uh, so far in the early rumblings of, of, of the season returning. Five-year extension, uh, a couple options for 2022 and 23. Again, no real big deal on, on, the, uh, on the money there. I'm not that concerned. It's team-friendly. That's great. I want to talk about Carlos Martinez because – even though I don't feel like he's getting a lot of hype, it's not like his price is cheap. He's going 17th off the board for starters at pick 71 on average. But should there should there be more excitement around Carlos Martinez? I mean, he had the big breakout year two seasons ago. I think he followed it up quite nicely last year at age 24 with a, virtually the same ERA, uh, a little bit better whip, a little bit of trade-off in the strikeouts that went down from 24% to 22%. That was a, a more than a full strikeout on his per-nine rate. But all in all, it's now two great seasons of about 30 starts at each that we've seen out of a out of a mid-20s huge prospect. Should there be more hype on Carlos Martinez, or is he going, going adequately at, at pick 17 among starters? I have to separate – we always have a difficult time here with pitchers when we talk about injury because we know that we don't know that much. You know, that we, mm-hmm. we know that pitchers get injured and that there are good mechanics and that it's very hard to spot them. And, you know, some guys fail with good mechanics and some guys make it with bad ones. So maybe he's going to be one of those guys that stays healthy, but I, I've already seen enough to know that he does get dinged up. 
that he does have to take starts off, that he does have to sit for a couple of weeks, that he, you know, that he has had to, you know, he has complained about bouts of this soreness or that soreness. And, and sometimes he just plays through it and, it and it shows in the performance. Yeah. You'll see three, four rough starts in a row from Carlos Martinez and then he kind of works his way through it, whether it's a mechanical thing or a fatigue thing. I remember there was a period last year where he had like five bad starts out of six and everyone was worried, like, what's going on with it? And then he went on a big run. Like, I, I don't know, like he didn't get time off or anything. It was just bad start, bad start, bad start. Boom, run, 10 starts of a, of a 176 ERA in 66 in the third innings. That was, that was from May, uh, 30th to July 26th. So about a two month run there where he was awesome after the, after the struggle. So I agree with you there. He is a smaller guy at, at, at six feet, uh, 190 pounds. And so there was always questions of even if he would hold up under the rigors of 30 starts a season. Now he's made it through two of those two such seasons, but there were many who thought he was a bullpen arm uh from the jump well, so he does fly open i mean you know oh no doubt he does fly open and that's probably one of the easiest things to see and you know it's just that if that arm is dragging then it's way too much stress on the arm for me so i'm i'm you know five years uh at least they're getting the, the early five years I, I wouldn't necessarily want to sign him um to a five-year deal you know when he had free agency yeah, at age 28 or 29. Right. So uh, the other thing is that's really funny is that he's like the prototypical dirty sinker guy where he gets a lot of ground balls and he has a nasty, nasty sinker, like, you know, 96 miles an hour sinker. And Bill James once, you know, famously said that these are the guys that chew up their arms. Now, it hasn't been – we haven't been able to prove that. And the numbers haven't really, really borne that out yet. But – you know, you just have to say the words Brandon Webb. And everyone goes, oh, no. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. That was It, it was so and nasty. I, actually, I don't even I know. I get a little bit of that feeling. I mean, I get a little bit of that feeling. When you watch that sinker from Carlos Martinez, it's not quite as devastating and crazy, but it, it's not far, you know? it's. It... And the thing was, you know, there there was a sustained – run for for Brandon Webb and then it fell off so even though we are seeing Carlos Martinez pitch well now for back-to-back seasons he could have another three or four and then still fall off it was it was a let's see here I got it right now it was a six-year run for Webb from age 24 to 29 and then he was done not decline not hey let's uh let's ease in he was done you know he threw four innings at age 30 uh in 2009 and that was it and I and, and honestly, I you know, so this, that there is still worries with the tsunami. I can see the same thing for Martinez. It's just weird though because he, he's 25 now and he's still at the beginning of it. It's like, well, don't even talk about it now. Then you know, just think, like, enjoy it while it's happening. And yeah, and I know it's tough to balance those things, but we're early. trying to be realistic. Yeah, but it's, this year's probably too early for it to happen. You know, I I, I agree. Yeah. Um, so I, I was actually going to ask you that, though. I was going to say, so what you're saying sounds like be careful in a in a keeper dynasty league. Yeah. But for this year specifically, at age 25 with Carlos Martinez, are you going to get any shares at at, at pick 71? Uh, he's going just behind your boy Kyle Hendricks, just ahead of Degrom. I mean, I don't I don't put words in your mouth. I think you like both of those guys better, though. Well, I think going up against Hendricks is really interesting because. Hendricks relies on uh, theories 
that uh, Hendrick's success relies on theories that we have that we haven't seen graduate to theorems. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. Hendrix reduces the like the exit velocity of pitchers on balls in play. He was in front of a great defense. And so we're, tr- we, we think that he reduced that exit velocity and he owns some of that batting average on balls in play. And we know that his defense owns the rest and he's in front of that same defense. So you could say, okay, everything lines up. Hendricks is great. We know he's great. Boom. Done. Called strikes have about the same year to year stickiness as swinging strikes. Boom. Done. But I'm still, you know, I still look at this and I still see. Carlos Martinez is the stuff guy. <laughs> you know, he's like, he's the guy who can get you out even no matter what. You know, he's going to get you out. Hendricks has more got a, you know, Glavin versus Smoltz a little bit, you know, where it's like, you know, Hendricks has got to place the ball in the right place and get the calls and do the thing. Whereas, you know, Carlos Martinez is going to come out there and he's going to throw a 96 mile an hour sinker and good luck. So, I'm a little bit more biased towards the Carlos Martinez types. I just feel like I'm going to buy that stuff. And a lot of the things that were true for Hendricks are true for, for him too. He's in front of the same defense. He's in the same park, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I think I would put Martinez over Hendricks. I might put DeGrom over the two of them because DeGrom kind of seems like a hybrid of the two where he has great stuff, but also great command. I can agree with that, yeah. So if we're going to rank those three at least, I'd probably go DeGrom, Martinez, Hendricks. But I don't, I'm not that far off of the consensus. So, you know, it's a, it's a good group of pitchers and I'm not worried about. And then I think the most of the people that own Martinez in, uh, in dynasty leagues are probably doing pretty well, right? I mean, you, you didn't just get Martinez. Right? Oh yeah. And if you did just get Martinez, you acquired him because your team is a contender. So, there are probably not that many teams that are looking to rebuild and have a Carlos Martinez in on the team. If there are, I would recommend selling him maybe this year at the trade deadline or maybe next offseason. That seems like you'd be selling him right at his physical peak and playing peak, and you'd probably get anything you wanted in return. Uh, with the way he's been going, yeah, and if, Car- if Carlos Martinez has another good year, yeah, you could, you could, you could literally get whatever you wanted. Uh, all right, you know, let's move on to Brandon Moss. Jason and I did talk about him on Sunday, but you know, this guy that you've, you've interacted a lot with, uh, and, and have some thoughts about. So I want to give you a chance to talk about Brandon Moss in Kansas City and how you see that playing out. I, it should be fine. I, I'm, I'm sad that he'll never call a, Hitters park home for a long period of time, I guess. You know, I'd love to see him. <laughs> another, another pitcher friendly park. I'd love to have seen him sign in, in, in Coors and hit all of the home runs. But, uh, he's headed towards Kaufman and he's gonna, he's still gonna hit 25 plus homers, I think. You know, I think he's, uh, he's basically their, what, what would I call him? I would call him their right field DH. You know, that's, yeah, that's, that's correct. And sort of, and Solaire is always hurt, right? He's always, he's got this hamstring forever. Paulo Orlando is your fourth outfielder and your backup to Lorenzo Kane as, as far as I'm concerned. And so when Jorge Solaire's hamstring is not great enough to, to run around the outfield and he's not a great fielder, 
you throw Moss out there, you might gain some defense and you might not even lose any offense. So I would say he's going to play in the, in the field some. He, he probably would prefer, he's a little ADHD and he'd probably prefer not to be a DH. He's, he said he would, he loves first base most of all, but, um, you know, maybe he'll be, if this team falls apart, he'll be the replacement for Hosmer when they don't sign Hosmer. Or, or any chance they, any chance they flip Moss? Like, would they sign him to a two year deal and flip him this year? Or is that unrealistic? Well, I just, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of market for him. We just saw what the market was. That's true. Fair point. He didn't get a lot of money, so it'd be hard to see, like, teams clamoring for the deadline. But if this team falls apart, this Royals teams fall apart, Moss could be the first to go just because he's not nailed down for a long period of time. And they might just do it for, like, a, a ball arm, you know, sure. so like maybe, maybe they do that. Maybe you're right. But, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, 240 batting average and, uh, 25 homers, I think he can still manage it. Okay. I don't, I don't see, I think that's a good deep league, uh, pickup. I think he's going to be one of those guys that's like a fourth, fifth outfielder in AL only leagues. I agree. And his power plays yeah. everywhere. So I'm, I'm, I'm with yeah. you there as well. Super heady guy that's gonna, that's always doing, you know, I do like the, the guys that, that think real hard, but not, not because I think they're going to be better intrinsically. I don't necessarily think that makes them better players, but I do think that it makes them better at getting the most out of who they are. They're always looking to improve themselves. And like you said, maximize what they do have. And so that, that sometimes the talent just doesn't win out, but I think you have a guy like Brandon Moss, who's also talented and he can, so he pairs the talent with kind of the thinking man's aspect of it. And so he's probably in on, you know, uh, maximizing launch angle and, and kind of mm-hmm. knowing, knowing where he can win. And so I do think that, you know, again, power plays everywhere with this guy. I think, I think he's going to do his 25 plus homers in KC, like you said. So, uh, deep league play for sure. Nice, nice, uh, deep outfielder. Does he have corner? Did he play enough first base last year that he would have corner infield eligibility? Let me see. I, I don't, I don't fully recall first on base, this. 397 innings. That seems like enough. Yep. 64 games. Great. So he's yeah. outfield first base eligible. Can slot him in at corner. I like it. Probably, that, that's probably Brandon Moss. More in people's outfielders and fantasy, but yeah. I, d- right. I doubt that he's really like a mixed leaguer. He's just, uh, there are going to be games where he doesn't play and, um, well, and, and, and the power is just not rare. And he's 33 and yeah, power only guys, uh, are not as rare anymore. It's it's just he's not, not rare. He's so. like OBP guy because, um, yeah, he walks, but he doesn't walk like fifteen percent of the time, which might get him to like a three thirty on base percentage or something. All right, sounds good. All right, um, little bit of news here. This isn't actually a transaction or anything, but uh, it's something that we saw go across on on MLB Network today. Get talked about. You were engaged in a Twitter conversation about it. Lucas Giolito is looking to add spin rate. Uh, this is kind of an interesting thing. You don't usually see that. A lot of times pitchers are talking about adding a new pitch, uh, you know, some sort of off-speed pitch, or they're looking to add velocity. We rarely hear them say, oh, I'm trying to add spin rate. Of course, it's, we're in a new era, and so things like that can happen. What are your thoughts on this? How feasible is it that a pitcher can actually, you know, go out and say, my goal is to add spin rate? Is it even possible for Lucas Giolito? Well, my, my impression of that when that first came through the wire was that no, it's not possible that I think that spin rate is inherent. But, you know, you go, you say something like that on Twitter and it's one of the reasons I like Twitter is that, you know, if you're, 
if you're civil to each other, you find, you find, you learn new things and you, and you, and everyone sort of chimes in and, and things happen. And so over the course of this one conversation, uh, I learned a couple things. I think, you know, that grip, grip strength, the maybe sort of pine tar situation, like the, the, the amount of grip you can put on the ball does have some effect on spin rate, maybe not a ton. And that's, you know, it's debatable how much you can affect yourself, uh, without using a, a secondary substance, but that there's, there's something there, A. And then B, the other one was, well, you know, someone said, well, here are these, you know, eight people that, you know, put on a hundred RPM of spin from 2015 to 2016. And on the list were guys like David Phelps and Trevor Bauer. And I was like, oh, did you notice that they also put on velocity? Exactly. You know, because velocity and spin are, are, you know, intertwined. So I, that, that I would like to, I'm going to, that's something I put on this to write for next week is to do the year to year correlation for spin rate, see how sticky it is, and then do the year to year spin rate, spin rate divided by velocity or spin rate bucketed by velocity. You know, I've done velocity index spin rate so that you can see that maybe if you account for velocity, that, uh, there isn't much change in spin rate from year to year. And so then you would say to Giolito, well, hey, dude, maybe you're just not a high spin rate guy and you should be a sinker curve guy. And maybe you should think about dropping down a little bit instead of being over the top. So the the answer to all of these questions for Giolito are mechanical, right? So if they think if they think that, you know, he's a natural low spin guy, then maybe they should be thinking about running that arm slot down a little bit. And, you know, doing sinker curve, that can be a really powerful combo. That's, we were just talking about Carlos Martinez. His sliders is kind of a curve, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of a bigger one. So if you, if he, that works really well for him, and, and if you've got Giolito pumping 94s sinkers with a, with a curve, uh, then I think you've probably got something there. And so I, I want to walk back a little bit my early statements that, you know, I'm out on Giolito. You said there's he was the still... worst pitcher in baseball, I believe was the quote. <laughs> there's kidding. still, there's still some, you know, there's still velocity and there's still a good curveball. I, that I maintained all the way, all along. I just, I'm out on him as sort of a top 10 prospect and I think there are some hoops that need to be jumped through, some things that need to happen for him to sort of rejoin that upper echelon of people I'm interested in. Okay. But, um, you know, you get him and your Ronaldo Lopez and maybe one of them works out and that's the whole idea. But Eden was under contract for four or five years. They could have, they could have held on to him. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm still, I still think that was a trade that I would have done as the Nationals in a second. All right. Well, I think that's, uh, that's pretty fair what you're saying about, uh, about Giolito. So this adds a little juice to him, but you're still not going crazy for Giolito. Are you drafting him in a 15-team mixed league? No, there's too many names that I'll get to. For me, Giolito is like in the hundreds, in the 90 to 100 slot, where um, I'll probably have someone that's in that 75 to 80 uh, spot that I'm more interested in. Okay. I think that's fair. All right, let's talk some twins. The good old Minnesota twins. Uh, man, it's it's been... Uh, 
not doing the greatest teams lately. It was the Angels on Sunday with Jason. Al and I talked Miami. There's there's some fantasy intrigue with them, but it's mostly on the offensive side. And then Minnesota, you know, doesn't have a ton. But I got a few questions for you. Then we'll get into some targets, stayaways, off the radar, impact prospects, and all that. Uh, let's just start with the easy one with their best player, Brian Dozier. What do you see for a follow up? What 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 are you expecting? out of Brian Dozier after that electric uh, second half last year. I mean, really, it was four months, uh, but, he, but he, he gave away the first two months. That's kind of the most brilliant thing about his season is that he kind of spotted the league two months. But what do you see out of Brian Dozier? Now, I wanted to look at his expected stats. You know, Andrew Perpetua has the X stats uh, website that where he keeps launch angle and exit velocity expected stats. And I wanted to see his slugging percentage on there, and it was 526, and for the year he was 546 in actuality. So I think he earned it, you know. I think he earned it. I think he made a little bit of an adjustment when it when it comes to I think he's a, a straight pull guy, but I think he earned every single one of those. I mean, not every single one of those homers, but I think he earned at least 35 to 36 of those homers. So I, I think that the projections walking them all the way back to 26 and 30, I think they're just missing a sort of adjustment and juiced ball possibly uh, aided um, uh, breakout. Okay. Does he continue to run? Um, he, had, he had a brilliant success rate last year. Dozier was 18 for 20. Like that's that's fantastic. Does he continue to run at at a, at a solid clip? pushing him maybe toward a, a 30-20 season. We haven't seen 20 stolen bases since 2014 from Dozier, but does he continue to run at a decent enough clip to where we could possibly see that? I don't know that he'll add stolen bases off of that year. You know, he's 29. It's not He's not getting any faster. But I, I do actually love that sort of 18 out of 20 success rate because I feel like that's super opportunistic and that, is going to stick around. You know what I mean? That Absolutely. I think a guy like that can steal 15 bases for a long time just because, you know, he's going to be on the back end of a double steal or he's just going to notice that everyone's napping. Chase and, Utley style. Uh, and he's just going to be on top of it. It's not um, it's not a Billy Hamilton skill set. It's uh, it's like Joey Votto when he was stealing bases. It's, it's a heady player just keeping his head in the game and, and taking off when, you know, Maybe he knows this next pitch is going to be in the dirt. Maybe he spotted a sign, or maybe he knows from the situation that this is the guy's going to try and bounce a, a curveball. This that's the time to go. So um, I think he'll I think he'll still 15, and I think he'll hit 35. And you know, 250, 35, 15. That's a lot of value. Let's talk about the youngsters. Who's the better investment next year, Miguel Sano or Byron Buxton? Give me your thoughts on both, of course. Well. I've famously been out on Buxton and, and said, you know, we've got a Cameron Maven situation on our hands. Um, maybe, maybe that's too negative. Uh, maybe he'll be able Even to. Even Cameron do- Maven was like, whoa, dude, why do you gotta be so mean? <laughs> There's also, uh, you know, BJ Upton comparisons. Um, that might be a little bit better because BJ Upton had a lot of power and speed, but I, I think that it's instructive to use those names. Not because um, they're black, <laughs> uh, but because the strikeout rates kept their 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 batting averages low. And I, I just don't, from all the tinkering that Buxton has done and all the ups and downs he's done, I just don't see a good strikeout rate in there. 
And I don't think the Twins are necessarily the team that's going to develop it out of him. So I, I think uh, he's always going to strike out too much, and I think he's always going to have a decently low batting average. And you just want him to figure something out where he hits the ball hard when he does hit the ball and um, steals a bunch of bases and, you know, does something like when Upton was good, what Upton did. All right. I think that that's, uh, th- that's fair. What about Miguel Sano? He also has a huge strikeout issue, but that's a little bit more accepted because the kind of the, the power that he delivers. Is he going to improve it at all, or is it always going to be sort of the situation where he just strikes out so often that you're never going to get that big batting average, or not big batting average, a good batting average. And again, we just talked about how this is kind of a common play type, player type right now. Um, so do you think, do you think Miguel Sano picks it up? Uh, or, or the, the, the real chance here is that he hits for so much power that he kind of outruns the batting average. I know that that's a possibility too. Last year I compared him to Jack Cust and he put up a damn Jack Cust season. So guess what? I was right! Uh, last year. Well, but I, it was just, it was just, uh, a comparison for what he was in the, in, in the present. Obviously he's gonna be 24. There's still some upside here, but 36% strikeout rate. Maybe, maybe there's not. Maybe he is another Jack Cust, which would be fine. All I meant by that was way too many strikeouts, plenty of walks, and obscene power. And I think it could be like a, a, a Jack Cust plus where he plays more and doesn't have that kind of shortened career. But, uh, I was just, I, I don't know. I, I'm not huge on Miguel Sano, even though I recognize the great power. Again, I keep reiterating it. It's, that's not as valuable anymore. Just in the span of one year, we've kind of lost the, uh, the value proposition on, on those obscene power guys. Yeah. I mean, I have to kind of separate fantasy from reality a little here. I mean, I, I'm not saying that he has a lot of defensive value or anything. Um, uh, we'll have to see if he can be a good third baseman. Uh, but he, he seems athletic enough where maybe, maybe, He'll provide some positive value there. But in terms of the way he hits the ball, one thing that's really remarkable about him is that he does not pop the ball up. So even though he's hitting a lot of balls in the air, he's not hitting them straight up in the air. So he's never going to rob himself of, uh, you know, possible batting average in terms of what happens once he puts the ball in play. He's always going to miss a bunch of balls, but he's never going to get robbed uh, by the pop-up. And I think that's somewhat significant. I think that that speaks to his power, you know, his contact skills being a little bit better than they seem when you just look at strikeouts and swing and swing strikes. So, you know, another thing that I, I don't know if we give enough credit to or, or, or what the best way to do it is with regards to judging these strikeout rates, we always see them as a, as a flaw in in a player's skill set should there be like a built-in percentage of if you're going to take walks and and that's something that Sano does and get yourself in deep counts there's going to be you know seven percent more strikeouts or ten percent is there a number that we say that's more due to getting deep into counts that you're going to have more strikeouts and so we don't count that against you as much or do you have to just take 36% and say 36% sucks? Like, is there a balance there? Because even in my critique of Miguel Sano, I realized that some of that strikeout is, and he does have a 14% swinging strike rate, but some of it is, hey man, I'm getting in a lot of two strike counts to try to get that great pitch to drive. 
there's going to be some strikeouts. Is there a number there that you think you could lop off and then count the rest as that's his 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 skill uh, with strikeouts, or or am I off base here with the with regards to the no? Walks? I mean, it, it's definitely something that happens that you that you strike out more if you if you walk more and, you, and if you don't swing as often and you get into bad counts. But there's also with him just a a, a fatal flaw in that. You know, like I said with Hayward, like he, when Hayward, Hayward does know what to sort of swing at, what, he, what he's looking at. Um, mm-hmm. I think that Sano actually does too, because Sano does not actually reach outside the zone. Last year he reached outside the zone 24% against the league's 31%. So he's actually pretty good at that. And in terms of swinging, he's not bottom, but he's not that far. 41% is, is near the bottom of the league. You know, 40%, that's real low in terms of swing right. So he's doing a pretty good job of, you know, judging what to swing at. It's just once he gets swinging, you know, his, his contact outside the zone was 40%, 42% last year against 64% for the league. That's really bad. And his zone contact last year was 66% against 78% for the league. Or well, actually zone is there. 77 against 86. Anyway, also bad. So he just, he has, yeah, some of it's getting into deep counts, but some of it is just missing pitches. And I think that sure. that won't go away. If you had a guy that, like when we saw Aaron Hicks, right, you know, he had a low swing rate, but decent contact rates, right? So in that situation, you might say, get out of those deep counts. And since you have, you can make contact, get out in front of that and put the ball in play before you strike out. That may not be the case for Sano. I think he may always strike out a bunch, but I think that's fair. At the same time, most of the times that he repeated a level, actually every time he repeated a level, he improved his strikeout rate in the minor leagues, and he's pre-peak by any measure. Absolutely, so, twenty-four going uh, going into age twenty-four this year for Sano. I think you might see something a little bit like Stanton, where early on Stanton struck out too much, got better for a little bit, and now. We're probably near peak Stanton and it's going to drop off. He's going to strike out more again. We haven't seen a full season out of Sano. And I think that is what captures most of the projection, most of the upside in his projection. But I do think if he got it down to 30, 32% strikeouts as he, as he projected and he finally put a full season together, you could be talking about a guy who's going to hit 40 home runs. And it, and, it, and once you get to 40, then you start mattering again in terms of, you know, a power running the average. Yeah. And outrunning the average. So, um, yeah, his skill set is a little bit more common these days and he plays third base and nothing, nothing more valuable than that, but he still plays third base. And, you know, of, of the guys that could hit 50 home runs in the league right now, I'd put him in there. I mean, that's the kind of power he has. Absolutely, and so. he's still going to have outfield eligibility. So you're still talking about a guy with multiple eligibility, which always helps. So you're going to yeah. have Miguel Sano. You could put that power at third or the outfield, and if it does start to click, then yeah, you've got 35 homers that that you can kind of move around. So you know, even even being down on him a little bit, it's relative to. For me, last year it was relative cost. I just thought he was way too expensive. This year, it, the, the, I think the cost has has kind of you know smoothed out a little bit. He's going pick one thirteen, twenty um, fifth outfielder off the board. 
that's a lot that's a lot more reasonable he's sandwiched in between Chris Davis and Jose Bautista so it's a little power uh, a little power trio right there and just kind of how how you want your power between Chris Davis Miguel Sano and Jose Bautista so you know I I could I could see getting him this year last year he was in like I think top 60 pick and there was just no way I was going to draft Miguel Sano at that cost yeah. oh you know we got to move we got to move on here says he's uh the uh, an eight dollar player and looks like around the 20th best third baseman but uh, i would remind people that the plate appearance projection for him is 540 and that's going to be wrong you know it's just going to be wrong the question is you know which direction and if he finally Absolutely. if he finally puts together the the full 660 you know, plate appearances, even just pushing that one projection, um, gets you to, you know, about 35 homers. So, and that would, that would be, uh, that would be worth a lot more. So I, you know, there was a question in the rundown, which is him or him or, or, um, Buxton, or Buxton. right? And Buxton, At their price. Yeah. Buxton's going to be a lot cheaper, but, and Buxton has a skill set that's, <laughs> Let me push back quickly. Yeah. Not even that much cheaper. One thirteen to pick one forty seven. Oh, that's and if well, Buxton that makes does it easier for me. Then I, if then Buxton does decent. anything in the spring, he's he's moving way up. People are looking for a reason to push him up. I'm taking Sano. I mean, the 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 projections on Buxton are so weird to me. I know that he had that good finish and the, you know, it's, it says he has a 205 ISO and they hit 10 home runs in a half a season. And so the projection systems are picking up on that. But I remember, it, to me, it feels like he hit 10 home runs in one game and the rest of the time he sucked. You know? Yes. He had that 10 homer game, which I don't think got enough run. Yeah, you know, really. everyone talks about Mark Witten hitting four and all the other guys that hit four. I don't hear one word about the 10 homer game. So, so, you know, the projections for Buxton have him hitting the projection. People that are drafting my projections are going to draft, are going to love Buxton because he's got 17, he's projected for 17 homers and 24, you know, 20 stone stolen bases and that's going to be a skill set that they'd love at that that pick, I bet. But mm-hmm. to me, it's that's like a middle projection. To me, it's likely that he has another 300 plate appearances of a 220 average and something similar, and that it comes at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, like it did last year again, and that he spends time in the minor leagues and um, projecting him for this sort of work. Also, because if you look at it, or in terms of actual on-field work, um, actual value, that the projection itself only makes him 13% worse than the league. So he has to be playing some awesome, 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 awesome. Awesome. Well, I, okay, so near awesome um, defense in center field, I think. I feel comfortable that, that Buxton will do that, though. Yeah, it's true. I think the defensive piece is the one, one piece that you can – probably feel pretty confident on but either way it looks like you're taking to know i think i'm with you because the cost is it's just not that different like i said the floor if is way higher in Sano, right oh yeah especially yeah. For, for this single year yeah. absolutely absolutely you know that you're you're gonna probably at least get another 25 homer season from Sano. 
and it might come, you know, come with the bad batting, but you feel very confident that you're going to get at least that. Right. Third base value. All right, let's move yeah. on. Let's move on to their closer. Um, does Glenn Perkins recapture this job? We're not sure yet if he's even going to be ready for spring training or for opening day. Uh, coming off of what was it, shoulder surgery, I believe. Yeah, uh, labrum surgery. So that puts it in doubt for him to even start the season, but you know, six month season. So he could be back in mid April, you know, early May, take the job. Brandon Kinsler is currently penciled in. Do you like Perkins, Kinsler, or Wildcard? Mm. I mean, so he could come back, and if he pitches well, he could get traded. Correct. And as a lefty, I feel like he'd probably get traded into a setup role somewhere. Um, Likely. I could definitely right? see that. So that situation is probably worth, like, that's 20 saves maybe, 15 to 20 saves before he gets traded. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the one where he doesn't come back early enough to establish trade value and comes back and struggles a little bit, in which case that's probably worth another, that's probably worth 15 saves that aren't with not great ERAs and stuff. And then there's the one where he doesn't come back at all. Or he, or you know, there's it lingers and this and that and this, and he has to go back down. He's 34, yeah, and he only pitched two innings last year. Like that, you know, don't want to be crappy about it, but that 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 is very plausible yeah. at this point. That that it just it doesn't. If you work. wait all those things, and one third, one third, one third, you end up with, you know, what like ten saves, and they projected. uh Numbers for him, 380 RA, 1-2-1 Um, So I guess, so let's say that's my projection for him and 10 saves, um, 10 saves for him. Kinsler to me is pretty boring. He's a, he's a guy. He's not necessarily a great, like he's not, he's not like a cork evil to me. Like he's not like a future closer. He's just a guy. Um, Correct. He didn't even really, trust a secondary pitch last year to throw more than 10% of the time. He just basically kept throwing that sinker up there. And that seems... You're not hyped on that 5.8 K per nine? not at all. Even even with an okay Okay. ground ball rate. Tough crowd. So, uh, to me, Trevor May is the kind of dynasty um, approach there. You you pick up the guy who was 94-95 out of the pen, has a has a real second pitch, has the strikeout rate, has the everything. Um, and you just assume that he'll figure out the home runs and, and be a good reliever. Um, even, even though he lost the last two, three weeks of the season with a back injury, it's at least it's just a back. So I'd probably give, I'd probably give Perkins 10 saves. This is such a, this is such a Weasley answer. You'll love it. Perkins 10 saves, Kinsler 10 saves and Trevor May 10 saves. But Trevor, the Trevor May would have the best stats. So he's Trevor May is actually my off the radar pick on this team. So I, I agree with you that he's going to factor in. I've actually got him being a bigger factor. I think he's going to um, rest the job away. You know what? I'll, I was going to say early season. I'm going for it. Takes it out. Of, takes it in spring training. He comes into the season with the job Trevor May does and holds. Yeah, it. I mean, 
if we do the if we do the waiting thing like we did with with uh, Perkins for Kinsler, it's not going to turn out good. It's probably there's nine times out of ten Kinsler gets zero saves and is just a dude, and in one situation mm-hmm. he gets like fifteen saves and is done <laughs> or ten saves. You know, so yep. I don't think that Kinsler is going to be on many of my teams. I just don't. That's not the guy I want because few people are going to be too many people are going to be like he's the closer to start the year, and I'll be like sure for like a week or two. Yeah, good luck with that. You can bet multiple dollars yeah. on him. I, I'm not. I would rather go, you know, honestly, I'm taking like a Nate Jones over, over Kinsler, uh, the, the aforementioned Corey Kniebel. You know, I, I like Adam Adovino. We're Adam Adovino guys here. That's, that's one of your mm-hmm. big guys, but I take Greg Holland over Brandon Kinsler for crying out loud. I just have no faith in, in Brandon Kinsler doing and then anything Perkins, over there. So if he's for me, hurt still it's Perkin, and he's not going to make it. Perkins for a buck in any league, I'll take Especially if it can do it late and I have two or three DL slots, boom. Like a, like a, mm-hmm. a closer in waiting on my DL slot. Cause even if May does take it and does save for a while and Perkins comes back healthy, I think they'll give Perkins back the role just because, you know, I think this will be a team that's not that great and they'll want to, they'll want to sell him. That's fair. That's fair. Um, one last question here before we move on to some favorite targets and stayaways. What's your Jose Barrios outlook? He had that ugly 2016, never really clicked. Well, you know, uh, ugly in the majors. He was actually still pitching well in the minors, which I think is a little bit encouraging, uh, at least for me. 22-year-old just didn't have a good first 58 and the third innings in the majors. I'm personally reluctant to throw him out uh, based on that. I, I'm still I'm still quite bullish. But where do you stand on Jose Barrios going into his age 23 season? He's got plus movement and velocity across the board. I mean, it's... He's a stuff guy. And right now, every single one of his pitches, except for the four seam, is a ball over 45% of the time. And that's just not tenable. And, you know, part of that swing rate, people, I don't know if he's tipping the curve, but his, his curveball swing rate's below, what's that? There, there was pitch tipping yeah, issues last year. So. Uh, th- there were reports that they knew what was coming, when it was coming, so they were hammering the good ones. It, as rare as they were, and then just spitting on everything else to get in those yeah, deep it is, counts. Yeah, it's it's important to like when you look at it. His four seam got ten percent whiffs. That's or nine point six. That's great. That's really really good. And that's a good that's a really good place yep. to start because he has plus velocity and plus movement and plus whiffs on a on a four seam. That's everything flows from there. And then don't look too hard at his below average whiff rates on his change in curve right now because you have to take into account his movement on those pitches, and they're great. It's a really hard curveball with a lot of drop, big sideways loop, like, you know, a big curveball. It's a changeup that has, uh, you know, four more inches of drop, you know, compared to his four seam has like five inches of drop. So if he can pair that change of that four seam, that sinker with a curve, it's going to get a lot of people out. It takes a little bit of smarts. It takes a little bit of, you know, figuring out sequencing. It takes a little bit of of repeating his delivery better. It takes, you know, not tipping the ball. There are things that are going to have to happen, but I'm definitely not out on Barrios. And in fact, we were talking about, you know, a pitcher earlier. Dude, I was I was just about to do it. Go for it. I was gonna I was gonna ask who, you who. Who are you talking about? Who did you ask me? Are you taking the fifteen? You know, fifteen. Barrios or Giolito? Yeah, I'd take Barrios. I would too. I would too. Right now. It's, yeah, he's closer. I mean, he's not, he's not gonna have to revamp his entire mechanics. He just needs to get better at the mechanics he has. 
I, I and, completely agree yeah. on that. Um, and I, so I would take, like, Brios is completely off the radar. I know that Giolito, he, he hurt his stock and, and some folks are, are not as hyped on him anymore, but there's still a camp that believes. And so even though they're, they're actually pretty close in, in average draft position, 101 for Giolito, 104 for, for Barrios, that's, that's uh, among starters. It's actually picked 354 and 375. Um, but I think the, the, the peak, for Giolito, pick 278 is much higher than, than Barrios. The highest he's gone is 323. So there's still some Giolito believers who want to take that gamble. For me, I think Barrios is the guy you want, uh, particularly in 2017 among those two. I think he also has a clearer path to, to being in the, in the majors with the, uh, with, with the ball club. I, I don't know if Giolito's going to, is he going to start the season with the White Sox? Um. I think it, that'll be determined in spring. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm seeing right now if he's even penciled in by uh, by roster resource, but that that might be moot. That might not be really the game changer there. They might both be. I think that they probably see Ronaldo Lopez as having a little bit less of a ceiling. That's just what the pro- prospect consensus is. So I think you, given a choice, if you had one slot, you'd put Ronaldo Lopez in. Actually, neither are slotted in. It's Quintana, Miguel Gonzalez, Carlos Rodon, James Shields, and Derek Holland. A- yeah, AL Central there. title, anybody? Woo. Here we come. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's finish up here on, on the Twins. Who's your favorite target at their current price? Well, we talked about Trevor May. Mm-hmm. We talked about right. how I would would I would buy Sano. Okay. At, at his at his current price. But it could be. Is, is it maybe the the outfielder that you wanted to talk about in respect to Jason Hayward? Do you want to go ahead and talk about him now? Uh, I might talk about him in the in a different section. Okay. This, he's definitely not. Um, I think AL only teams uh, need to AL only uh, players need to really take a good look at Kenny Spargus against Bianco Park. They're one of those guys is going to win, and it may not be Kenny Spargus. He's a free swinger. That I think has angered the organization at times. You know, they've definitely put him up and down, and I'm not sure that they're all over this barrel stat that says that he's great. And I'm sure that they're not super excited that everybody strikes out 30% of the time on the twin. So, no. you know. It's funny because as, uh, you know, as an organization, they've hated pitching strikeouts. Like all their guys have 6.0 <laughs> strikeout rates, Brad Radke style, but their offense Loves striking out. It's oh like their God. favorite thing to do. It's crazy. Uh, you know, whoever wins that is going to be interesting. I agree, so, actually. I, I, I'm with you on that. I put a dollar, I might put a dollar on both those guys and hope that the loser gets put in the minors so that I can stash him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, uh, and I, and I think that Byung Ho Park is not done. Byung Ho Park was top 10 in exit velocity on balls in play, um, in the air. And he, he was a he was a good barreler too. So both Park and Vargas are really good at barreling the ball. They didn't give him enough they, of a chance, and then when they sent him down, he got hurt. Yeah. So yeah, he was definitely hurt, and I think that may have may have affected him a little bit early on. Also, just getting to know, like coming to America and then just jump right in to like you know American stuff, like the the the, the stuff the pitchers have and the and the the sequencing they do and and American strike zones. I mean. You know, Hunsu Kim was t- talking to me about how the inside part of the plate for a lefty is totally different here. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot for him to learn. And 
I'm not, I'm not counting Park out at all. So I just, with Maurer still there, it's difficult to, to, to put them all on the field at the same time. Yeah, exactly. So uh, th- th- those two, Park and Vargas are fighting for DH while Maurer yeah. absorbs that first base. And I think time. the loser will go to the minors. So there are, there are a lot of setups where people have to, like, you can only hold on to a guy if he sits sent to the minors. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of, there's a lot of, so those people I think would benefit a lot. This is an A labor quirk is, you can't really reserve – you can't put a guy on your bench if he's in the majors and not playing. You just – you have to drop that guy. Mm-hmm. But, if, um, but if you – but if he goes to the minors, you can reserve him. So that's the sort of ideal situation there for some arbitrage where you, you put a buck on both those guys, put them in your lineup at UTIL and CI and get a CI out of it and just go hunting somewhere. Um Anyway, that's a lot cheaper than a lot of other approaches, like and it. it's somewhat interesting. Uh, I just I wish that they could they could pull a trade because they got Robbie Grossman penciled in as a starter or Eddie Rosario, and um, that's either way going to be a low average starter. And uh, if they could turn one of those guys into an outfitter, it's not going to be Park. <laughs> no, it, it, <laughs> not going to be Park. Probably not going to be Vargas either. So um, maybe they could trade Maurer. It's interesting looking up and down this team. It's pretty hard to find the guy that I'm in love with. I mean, uh, Kyle Gibson, I'm tired of waiting on him. Uh, Hector Santiago beat his peripherals for a long time. I think that's done. Urban Santana's somewhat interesting in a, uh, Solid deep league. innings eater. Yeah. I, yeah. I like him. You know, he's, he'll find his level. It, you know, he'll usually go through a struggle at some point in the season where you want to cut him, but you just stick it out with somebody like Santana and, you know, he's not winning you a league. But I think he's getting you 180 solid innings pretty much year in and year out. I think if I focused on on getting speed, I will probably focus on getting speed with my early picks, not getting speed by itself, but getting guys that will hit. Like if I had a choice between sort of a 35 guy early on uh, versus like a 25, 20 or something like that or, you know, where it lines up better, um, I think I will take the guys that have the balanced line this year because I'm worried about um, – I'm worried about steals and I, I have a natural steals weakness anyway. Same. And, uh, so I think Miguel Sano might be a good pick for me to keep in mind and someone to, for me to target because that'll be sort of an eighth, ninth, tenth round type pick. Um, where if I'm a little bit behind in power, I, I can go jump on him because I, I do, I do like him a little bit because you've started the, uh, the draft with more of those. Those power speed guys. That, that totally makes sense. Um, speaking of speed, because you, you're not a huge fan, is Buxton your stay away or is there somebody else? Uh, I think this is where I wanted to talk about Max Kepler. And, you know, I love him as a, as a German, as a fellow German. <laughs> and I love Ass him bomb. as a, uh, play discipline guy who can, uh, I think when he's going well, will will walk more than 10% of the time and strike out less than 20% of the time. And that's, uh, that's a f- good way to to base everything. You're going to have a 330, 340, 350 OBP. That means that even if you only have a 400 slugging, you're still a useful player in the big leagues, and it's a good way to have a high floor. And he has speed and athleticism. He's going to be a pretty good uh, corner defender, I think, and he's going to he's going to have some steals. The question is all about the power, and I know that Podhorts have just labeled him as a laggard for expected home runs because he didn't have good barrel stats. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
I don't know. I the the history of Kepler in the minor leagues was told a little bit like this too, where oh this guy didn't have any power. He's like a five tooler, but the power tool is his worst tool. You know what I mean? And there were there were like these these early swings that people were the swing video that people were sending around of Kepler where he looked really terrible. And there were, you know, the first two years when he was with the Twins where he had an ISO under 100 and he hit one home run in his first 375 plate appearances as a, as a, as a professional. And then followed it up with his minor league high of 10 in 2012. Yeah. And, and then went 959. Yeah. So like, I mean, and, and on a team like the Twins, I think he's going to volume this year. I think the projections are low in terms of, of plate appearances. I think the twins are going to be like, Oh my God, you don't strike out 40% of the time. Run with it, baby. And they're just going to give him the position and he may not be a guy that hits 30 home runs, but if you give him 650 plate appearances, even with, and this is where Potterwards are pointing out Josh Reddick's home run for fly ball for last year. Even with that, he's going to hit 15 home runs. So I think mm-hmm. that his first 15 home runs, and that's what he's projected to do, and then he could have another 150 plate appearances on top of that where he hits another two or three. So, I, you know, 15 to 20 home runs with 10 stolen bases, it actually shows up right next to Jason Hayward. It is, like, so close. Yeah. You can just basically see them on on the on the same page there, like uh, that that same little shot of of outfielders. They are one, two, three, three guys on apart. The right? Uh, well, I, I was looking at uh, NFBC yeah. average draft position, yeah. but I, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, if the, the auction calculator both like the same two dollar outfielders in mixed leagues. But you know, given you seem conflicted on him. Well, I don't like the, I mean, I like the barrel stats. I, I, and I don't like that he, and I sold him last year. I think we talked about this on the, mm-hmm. on the podcast. I sold him because of those, in a, in a redraft league, I sold him, but in my keeper leagues, I kept him because, I remember, you know, the correlation year to year on those bad, on those batter ball stats, they are pretty good, but they're also about the same as sort of ground ball for fly ball rate, right? And we've seen other guys that hit too many ground balls when they first got in the league you know, raise their launch angle, you know, and, 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 and start to hit more. In fact, if you age, if you age ground ball rate, you hit fewer ground balls until you hit your peak and then you start hitting more ground balls. So, you know, yeah, it's not great that his barrel stats work out that way, but no, I'm not, I'm not counting him out. There's too much athleticism there. There's too much good plate discipline. I think there's so much floor that I think there's probably even more floor than Hayward, honestly, because I know Hayward's got a lot of money coming to him, but the Cubs don't care. You know, the Cubs, if he comes out and lays another egg like he did last year, I think he's going to be their fourth outfielder. I mean, I think they could find a way to to make that work where, you know, Schwarber starts catching or Contreras starts playing out. You know, like they just start moving guys around. All their guys – or or – Zobris plays at second and by, or, or is that bias plays every day at second? Zobris is suddenly an everyday outfielder, you know? Um, that's all super possible. And, uh, I just don't see the twins. I, I guess the twins could send him down if he hit 230, but that would be 
the dumbest thing ever um because it just it would just be so stupid it would be so stupid it would be really stupid so i'm i i i'm saying that kepler stays up all year hits to uh you know hits basically to his projections and if he does stay up all all year that means 20 home runs and 10 stolen bases and that's valuable i'll take that okay uh let's talk uh let's talk some pro oh wait my off the radar i think our off the radar is both trevor may there's not really other other guys that are super off the radar so let's move to prospects They've got some that could that that could do something this year. Some names: Steven Gonzalez, Daniel Palka, Alberto Mejia. Do you have any thoughts on those guys or others you you see potentially making an impact for the Twins this year, as far as prospects go? Uh, yeah, I guess it's too early for Nick Gordon, who's like the number one guy yeah. who we both are not so in on. I mean, we, he, he's. He's like a buck twenty sopping, sopping, sopping wet, and uh, uh, nothing wrong with that. Right. That's that's an amazing body type, <laughs> wiry, thin, and awesome. Like that, you can totally be an amazing human being that way. I just but don't think he's not, not as the best fast as D Gordon, and Which, he's also not a shortstop. So, you know, I don't think the ceiling is as high as even his brother. So, um. Anyway, you know, other than that, I guess you could call, can you call Jorge Polanco? Uh, I mean, you could from like a standpoint of more of a loose, uh, definition where you're saying, Hey, this guy, because he's played a little bit in three seasons and then last year he played enough to expire his right. rookie, but we're talking about a guy with 290 plate appearances and he's going to be 23 years old. So I would let you, you know, from, from talking about it as a, as a fantasy prospect, I get it. But in the, in the true sense of prospect, meaning they qualify for prospect lists, right. he's not. But if you want to talk about him, I think it's actually kind of an interesting name. Roster resource has him penciled in at the slot. Is that something that you see happening? Cause Anytime you're batting two, even on a on a crummy team, that's a volume play. For yeah, sure. I'd like to see what his defense looks like long term, but I think they I think that's another player that they're going to plug in and just see what he can do for the full year. And if they do do that, then you've got another guy who could go fifteen fifteen with a two seventy two eighty type average. And um, I'll take that. You know, at shortstop, it's probably more of a deep league situation, but. Um, uh, deep league MI, 280-15-15. It's better. I paid something like $8 for Jose Iglesias last year and, uh, was for, you know, slightly different shape stats, but about that kind of stats. Um, mm-hmm. so he's definitely going to be a name to know. And then the other name that I had, uh, just in general was Ed Alberto Mejia, just because, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily, uh, penciled into their begin- very beginning of the year, and he's probably behind. Uh, he's definitely behind Barrios. I just think that he's a little bit more interesting than Andrew Albers and Tyler Duffy. I think those guys, uh, I agree with that. to me, feel like six and seven starters long term, even or like fifth starters. Whereas Mejia could be third, th- third or fourth starter. He's got interesting spin. He's a high spin guy, um, and. Uh, He's a high spin guy with a with a really good breaking ball, and I think he's improved the the, the feeling on his changeup. So they've already given him a couple innings in the major league level, 
I'd say that this year, I think he can probably get 50 or 60 innings. I think he'll probably be like a September starter. And I'd be interested to see what he does because if he does really push that change up any further, he'll be a legit three pitch guy. Um, just not high velocity. So you can't, you can't, uh, bet, you're not talking about a stud here, but we're talking about a guy who could be better than Tyler Duffy. So yeah, AL I think only, so. AL only sort of guy. Obviously not that you're drafting if you think he might only be a September call up, but somebody just to keep an eye on Alberto Mejia. They got him from, um, San Francisco in the Eduardo yeah. Nunez. Di- deeper yeah. dynasties. Let me, if I, as long as my guys aren't listening, um, I may try to get him in my real deep. If you're in it, if you're in a league with Eno, please turn down, just have some respect and turn down the podcast. <laughs> in my Two minutes. 28 okay? teamer Jeez. with, uh, my 20 teamer with 28 keepers and 40 roster slots. I may, may find a slot for him. Um, what do you, do you know anything that's about this Daniel Palka guy? That's a bad prospect list. Jesus. It's, it is really bad. Um, particularly for this year, you know, con- contributing this year, there's just not that much. But even when you kind of, when you kind of look at the, the overall picture, it's still not worst. It's actually still pretty far from the worst when you talk about like Arizona, LA, um, the Angels, that is Miami. The Royals are struggling right now. So they're not even, they're not even the worst, but it's not great. I'm looking at this Daniel Palka, 24 years old last year in double A and triple A. So a little bit old for, for double A specifically. Um, so it takes a little juice out of his 894 OPS there and he hit 21 of his 34 homers there, but he went up to triple A, hit a 779 OPS with 13 homers. You know what? He looks like, uh, these other guys that we're talking about on their team, massive <laughs> strikeout rate, but, but some pop. He had a 33% strikeout rate. Uh, he's a college guy. He's going to be 25. So it's, it, there's not a huge upside here. And I think I'm kind of answering my own question there just because well, there is I don't know a spot, if there's a spot I think there is, for the same there is, reason. If there is a spot, it's for an outfielder. It's, you know, Grossman played well, and maybe he can hold on to that spot, but maybe he's a fourth outfielder. And sure. there's some things to be said for, you know, kind of a switch hitting, can play center in a pinch type fourth outfielder. So he would – let me get but, you real fast. So Palka would – based on what roster resource has right now, they have Vargas and Park up. We're saying – that might not happen. Vargas could win the job. Park goes down, marinates in Rochester. Palka could take that roster spot because now he's filling in in the outfield as opposed to another DH type. Is that something you could see? Yeah, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that team. You know, there's I just it, from a roster construction standpoint, it doesn't make any sense to have Vargas and Park on the team at the same time. Correct. It just, uh, you know, it doesn't. Okay, Kenny Vargas. Is a switch hitter. Vargas is younger and a switch hitter. I feel like he has the edge so, right now. You, yeah, you could, I guess, go for a platoon of DH. Nobody else in baseball is doing a platoon of DH. <laughs> no, nobody is having. Nobody has two DH only players that they're going to use up for that. Slot. A lot of teams don't even use any DH only guys right now. They like to use it as a day off. So yeah, I would say that I think it's much more likely that Polka uh, makes the team. I mean, what? There's, there might be other things that we're not seeing. Maybe there's an infielder who can also play outfield, Escobar, but he's probably their main, uh, main infield uh, backup. Yeah. Escobar. Uh, yeah, it looks, actually, I like Palka making this team. All right. Uh, because, because Rosario is iffy enough that they may want to have 
a backup plan. I mean, Rosario Grossman. Well, they could have two outfielders. Yeah. They, it, it could be Rosario Grossman and Palka just kind of rotating in that, uh, that left field spot and maybe even giving Kepler some days off against righties. Uh, not Palka. Yeah. That would be Grossman doing that because, or against lefties, excuse me, because Palka's a lefty as well. But it also helps you with, um, if you think Vargas is, is weaker against one side or the other. Between Rosario Grossman and Palka, you could have you could you could have your DH platoon. Bingo. If you really, but wanted. but you're not stuck with <laughs> the fact that Byung Ho Park DH can't home. play anywhere else. So that's why Palka right, becomes right. a better play there. So keep an eye on that. There, there, there's we we found one. I think you just talked me into Vargas making the team, Byung Ho Park being a, a reserve pick in AL only, and um, Palka being a twenty dollar player in it. No, I'm just kidding. Crazy deeply one dollar shot in the dark. Palka I mean, is, is, is the guys ahead of him are, are legitimately uh, not necessarily major leaguers. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like legitimate question marks. Palka Robbie is such Grossman. a guy that hits eight homers in a spring training though, and and gets way inflated on price. All of a sudden, people are putting like nine, ten dollars on him. Uh, yeah, you know, older college guy, totally. I mean, I'm not saying that I think Palka is going to have a great major league career, but I'm saying that Eddie Rosario is all tools and few skills mm-hmm. so far, and he's been popped uh, for PEDs. Correct. And then Robbie Grossman, on the other hand, is, um, you know, he's got some skills, but he's more results think- than skills, and then the results haven't been, you know, backflips. I mean, he did, he was good last year, 99 games, 389 plate appearances. Of an 828 OPS, and I remember Grossman had a stretch where he was like a DFS god. But yeah. he's gonna be 27. There's not a whole lot there. We like Daniel Palka uh, to to push to make this roster, and and then he could be your one dollar AL only guy who you know when when you're talking in AL only specifically or NL only, but since we're talking AL team right now, um, playing time is is so important, even if the the outlook isn't super bright and. So if you have somebody like Palco who could get some playing time, his power, if he catches fire, all of a sudden he's squeezing Vargas out or squeezing Rosario out more and more, and then boom, something could break. So just keep an eye on on somebody like Daniel Palco. He does have that same swing and miss issue, so it's probably going to be more of the power only as opposed to anything with the batting average. But uh, he could he could be an interesting name for sure. Do you know anything on Steven Gonzalez? He was another one that was listed as a potential um, on Logan Hagen's list as a potential 2017 guy, but I don't know a whole lot about him. No, I just uh, know even less than you. So read Logan Hagen's piece on him. He hasn't even hit AAA. He's a, a lefty, 6'5", 213, don't really have much on his stuff. Had some good numbers last year in, in high A, double A. Could even start in double A, get a little more time there. So this could be mid-season 2017. So I don't even think you need to worry about it for draft situations. Well, some good Maybe just know the name. Some nice strikeout numbers. Looks like a command problem. Yep. Yeah. Which is fixable. Never does not allow homers. So maybe he's a ground ball guy. Yeah. 0.2 homers and 368 minor league innings. But uh, anyway, you know, I'll tell you what, man. We spent too much time on the Twins. No offense, Twins fans. We did our but, best. Uh, but you got hooked up. You got hooked up here. Like mixed leaguers are going to find like two, two, te- two players on that team this year, probably. I agree. I, I think. Well, three. You're going Dozier, Sano, Buxton, right. for sure, yeah. are getting drafted in every league, and then you're kind of piecing it together uh, depending on how deep your league is. Maybe. But the deep leagues. Santana. I mean, this is the team. This is the kind of team that that deep leaguers want to kind of make their decisions on. I mean, make a decision on that Vargas. 
park situation, make a decision there, and you may make some money. You may you know. it's some arbitrage on the lesser teams when you're in the deeper leagues. I, I completely agree. I think that's a great point. Um, you know, everyone's going to be in uh, on the start. You know, the the depth of Houston's offense. Everyone's going to be in on that in the AL only. Those guys are probably going to get pushed up. Even some of the guys that don't have the guaranteed playing time. So you shift over to a Minnesota and you do your analysis on Jorge Polanco and you see if you like him or maybe you think uh, maybe you're a little bit more bullish on Kepler than than Eno is and, and maybe you go for him. I agree. I think these these lower level teams are a great place to arbitrage your deeper leagues for sure. Don't get too into Eddie Rosario though. I'm telling you. I, I remember seeing him at AFL and, uh, you know, a few pr- impressive at bats. And then everything I heard around it was, nah, don't, yeah. don't sweat it. Yeah. It, it. Like he was having good games and yet everyone was still down on him to, to a scout. Um, the, you know, varied types of scouts were just like, nope, nope, nope. So Eddie Rosario from whatever, you know, he's just never really clicked sub 300 OBP for 828 plate appearances in the majors, like at some point. That's just not going to cut it. So you might get a double-double season out of him, 10 homers, 10 stolen bases, but you, you're not winning your league on that. I, I think you should look elsewhere for sure. I agree. Um, all right, Eno, we got to go. We'll be back next week, uh, you and I, uh, talking some more baseball. Until then, take care. Yep, for listening. <laughs>